0: I want to bring a message titled, uh, Victory Today, and I believe in a great way what we want to look at. i preached several sermons around this idea in the past, obviously, when it comes to uh, living in a victorious life, living a Christian victorious life, and I think in a great way today that we we live in a time, we live in an age where, I'm going to make a few statements, guys, and again, I'm not trying to um, rub anyone wrong or offend anyone or upset anyone, but we are living in a world today where seemingly everybody has an issue, everybody has uh, something going on, they have something wrong, and, and uh, our, our, our community today, our, the way our culture has gone, uh, we seemingly want to give everyone a diagnosis. And the thing is, when you get a diagnosis to something, whatever it may be, uh, then you, it takes the personal responsibility off your own life, okay? Okay. Uh, you know, if, uh, if I have a leg length disorder over here, well, then I can't help the way I walk because i got a leg length disorder. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I've had a hip injury when I was 19, and, and so I typically, about 85 to 90% of my time, I'm having pain in my hip, which translates to my knee. And there's nothing I can do about that, okay? It's there. There's no need for me to complain about it. I'm not going to load myself up with drugs to try to mask it. It is what it is. But when you get a diagnosis or you're labeled with something, all of a sudden, you, know, you take your hands off. You have no more personal responsibility to change things, all right? Guys, as a child of God, as a Christian today, we are the only people on the face of this planet who really and truly should be living victoriously. We are the only people that that should have joy, that that really and truly, I know we've spoken about the difference between joy and happiness, and happiness is, is related to what happens to you, and joy is not. You can be unhappy in the circumstances of life and still have joy. Paul said, rejoice evermore. Amen. So I'm saying all that to to make this point. And we're going to be looking at the Old Testament today in Joshua 17. I I do ask you to go ahead and turn there this morning. Uh, We'll get into it in just a little bit. I want you to hold your place there. I have an introductory verse or two that I'm going to pull from the New Testament. But we're going to be hearing from the Old Testament today. And the reason being is there, there are principles that the Old Testament speaks about. An Old Testament truth, if you will, with a New Testament lesson or a new testament principle the bible teaches that the old testament is there for a reason through the words of the mighty apostle paul who said this in first corinthians chapter 10 uh, a chapter we're going to be looking at here pretty soon looking forward to that but he says moreover brethren i would not that ye should be ignorant How then our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat that same spiritual meat and did all drink of that same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock that was Christ. Amen. That rock was Christ. But how many of them, uh, in verse 5 says, but how many of them uh, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these were our examples to the intent That we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So the Apostle Paul gives us an example from the Old Testament for us to apply in our life. He tells those Corinthian church in chapter 10 that that all that Moses and all that Israel, all that they went through in the wilderness, those things are there for our example so that we can learn from them. Amen. So many people today want to chuck the Old Testament out. And uh, guys, if you chuck the Old Testament out, you're chucking out a whole lot of things that you need in your life every single day. These examples are for our learning. The reality is if Someone can learn uh, from positive examples as well as negative examples. We can look at what Israel did. We can look at their mistakes and where they lusted after certain things and, and what they suffered as a result of that, being drawn away from God. And we can say, you know what, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to go down that road. Now, these are people in our lives, guys. There are, there are people in our, our lives that we can learn from in the same ways. There are people that the Lord allows into our life that we can learn what to do, while as others have come into our life that we learn what not to do. And it's the same thing, guys. Again, with the Old Testament, we can learn what to do in the Old Testament just as much as we can see what not to do. And, and over the past several months, we spent quite a a lengthy period of time in the Old Testament. We've looked at David and the Battle of Goliath, how it was all about God, and uh, we've seen several sermons this year uh, just on Joshua and the things that transpired there at the River Jordan. So all of these things we've seen as our examples, and we're going to look at these examples again from the book of Joshua, because Joshua in and of itself is a book of victory. It's a book of victory. I'm going to repeat myself from sermons in the past right now. Uh, but guys, nobody wants to be a loser. You don't want to. Nobody wants to end up on the losing side of anything for that matter. You don't want to have a losing marriage. You don't want to have a losing uh, parental values. You don't want to have a losing score, losing job. You, no one wants that, yet we understand that it happens. Everyone wants to live in victory in some way, shape, form, or fashion. you understand? And we're giving examples, a beautiful picture here, of what a victorious Christian life can require. Now, sometime back, and, and I don't know, I can't even remember how long ago it was, but I taught a, uh, a Bible study on Wednesday on how to study the Bible. If you have not partaken in that lesson, go to your Church One app or sermonaudio.com, either one, and look up that on our page on how to study the Bible and go through the lesson. But there's three things that we ask ourselves whilst we're reading and studying the Word of God. Number one, we want to say, what did it mean then? Guys, don't make it mean anything more or less than it says. It means what it says, and it says what it means. Number two, we want to ask ourselves, how, how does it apply now, here today, 2023? And then thirdly, we want to say, how does it apply to me personally? You see, the children of Israel have gone into the promised land, as we get into Joshua 17 in a moment. They get into the promised land, and that promised land represents a full, faithful Christian victory, a Christian life that is being lived. It represents fullness, it represents faithfulness uh, in victory. And it is a picture that we can take today of you and I living in victory or living the victorious Christian life. As Bible believers, guys, as Christians, we should be living A victorious life. We should be living a full and a fruitful, and let me say this, a faithful life in victory. It's not to say that our life is going to be problem free or struggle free, but our life can be lived victoriously. Now, again, we all want to be winners, do we not? No one got up this morning and said, Well, I can't wait to lose today. No one woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to trip over the step and fall. Or better yet, let's make it really, really, really real. I I can't wait to get to the very top step and stumble over that one. Because for some reason, every house that we've ever been in, the top step is taller than the rest of them. I don't know why, but it is. No one woke up and said, I can't wait to lose. But many, many people do so every day. Joshua 17, and in your Bibles, if you'll follow along this morning, uh, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, But the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxing strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Let me say this to you this morning. There was no reason they couldn't drive the Canaanites out, out, all right? They simply would not do that. There's an issue here that there's still Canaanites living in. Now, remember this, if you will. When Israel came to the river Jordan, God gave specific instructions, not only to Moses before Joshua, but now to Joshua, who has taken the helm. And he said, Look, you know, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to do some work. I'm paraphrasing this real quick just to sum it up really, really fast. I'm, there's some work that you're going to do. There's some work that I'm going to I'm going to drive some out of here for you. But there's going to be some straggling around. You're going to have to drive them out. You're going to have to get rid of every one of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Pezarites, and every other that is in the land. In order to have this promised land that flow with milk and honey, you need to get them out of here. There's some work that you are going to have to do. And the issue is this. There were still Canaanites living in the land. Now, Canaanite, guys, is a devil-possessed people. They represent the power of Satan. Uh, they, they're, driven to keep us, they're driven to keep us from living a full and victorious life. They were driven here to plague the nation of Israel that were there. God's children were keeping company... With devil-possessed people, they were devil-possessed people keeping and hindering the people of God from having a full and fruitful life. I mean, if you were to look in in Jeremiah 13, we won't go there, but, uh, you know, the Lord makes a very distinct statement to Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's looking around at how bad his own people were, and he did nothing but weep and cry and mourn, because he knew the judgment that was coming as a result of their own choices. But he said, learn not the way of the heathen. Now, in the Old Testament, heathen means other nations. Anyone outside of the nation of Israel. Every one of our lot, every one of our ancestors were heathen, okay? Now, as a child of God today in the New Testament, when we say heathen, we mean those who are who are lost, number one, and those who are living a hedonistic lifestyle. Amen? The heathen, the other nations. He says, learn not the way of the heathen. But well, what did Israel do? They came into the land, and when they could put the Canaanites out, they put them to tribute so they could work for them. They became lazy, and their other generations started learning the way of the heathen, and they started worshiping these pagan gods. They were keeping company with devil-possessed people. There are things, there are three things in our life that I want to bring to your attention this morning. That, that it... That, that if we're going to live a victorious life, there are three things that are going to hinder us in doing so in this life. The first thing that we're going to find, guys, is compromise. Now, beloved, we live in a world today where people want to speak about compromise. God's plan for his people was total and complete occupation. God said, drive them from the land, from border to, to border. Joshua in chapter one and verse eleven says, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess. The whole land, man. And I know you guys have heard this before, three hundred miles from the mouth of the uh, the Nile in Egypt to three hundred miles to the mouth of the Euphrates, taking a forty-five degree turn north uh, northwest. 200 miles up to Mount Ariat, and then 200 miles back down from the starting point. That is Israel's land grant. Now, if you get a modern-day map and you look at that, it's going to blow your mind what happens when God sets that millennial kingdom up and who's going to lose that land, amen. But I'm saying this to you to hear, God gave them the commandment, complete, total occupation of the land. So my question to you was today, are we living a victorious life? Are you living victorious over the flesh, over the world, and over the devil today? Has God, has the Holy Spirit of God got complete and total occupation of the temple in which he has dwelt? Or have you only given him a room up in the attic? Or are you giving him a place that you can go back and you can pull him out when you need him? Can I say this too? You need him every moment of the day. Amen? A Christian who is not living in victory is an anomaly in the world today. It's unnatural, beloved. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse uh, 57 uh, tells us, it says, But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Now thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, beloved, I don't know about you. I am a Bible believer. I believe, listen, if you don't believe every word is inspired and perfect in the word of God, then you are not a Bible believer. You are not too intelligent to try to decipher what the word of God is. Oh, but we have his thoughts. Don't give me that, man. Ain't nobody on the face of this planet smart enough to understand the thoughts of God. My ways are higher than my My thoughts are higher than thy thoughts, the word of God says. I love it how these Bible correctors always want to say, yeah, but it really means this. Listen, Joker, Bible says what it means, means what it says in this King James Bible. Anything other than that is nothing but a perversion. You need to remove it from your life. Matter of fact, you're not living victoriously if you're dwelling in the midst of the other things. Hallelujah. Not going to remove 98,000 words from something and change another uh, bunch of them and say, oh, I got the word of God. No, you don't. You got Swiss cheese. We have Swiss cheese over here. Swiss cheese has holes in it, amen? That's what you have. I like a holy Bible with an H, not a W, amen? What I'm trying to tell you here this morning is that these words right here are important. Now, thanks be to God, and to God, which always, always, amen? Paul said rejoice evermore, always. He says, make it manifest through the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, Every place, that means every struggle, every valley, every dark corner, every issue that you face in your life, our Lord Jesus Christ makes manifest a Savior as His knowledge by us in every place. You can live victoriously in this world today if you choose to not compromise. I understand this is going to rub some of you wrong. And as Billy Sunday was accused of always stroking the cat backwards, he said, tell the cat to turn around. Amen? Can I tell you this this morning, guys? There is only one, but one alternative to victory. You know what that is? Defeat. There's not a, there is not a, a secondary, not a tertiary. There is one alternative to victory, and that is defeat. Victory is defined as the act of defeating an enemy or an opponent in a battle, game, or other competition. And this is where so many fall shortly today. This is where the children of Israel fell. And this is why the example is given to us today that we can follow and not make the same mistakes. Guys, we have victory over the world this morning. We have victory over the world. A world is a system. You heard this Wednesday night in our first segment on worldliness. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, And for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Victory is in your life today over the world if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, number one, you're not saved, and number two, you're not living in victory today. Number two, we have victory over the flesh. We have victory over the flesh. The flesh is not to be coddled. It's not to be condoned. It's not to be contributed to. The flesh is to be crucified. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Our little faults are not meant to be a source of amusement or entertainment or even the butts of jokes, guys. Our spiritual instabilities, our roller coaster emotions, our anger, our tempers, our lies, our deceit, our secrecy. Well, preacher, that's just the way I am. You know, I'm a ginger, you know, so I got a bad temper. Can I tell you this? Your hair color's got nothing to do with your attitude. Amen? Amen? I'm bald, so I'm just angry all the time. No, no. Okay. Matter matter of fact, your heritage, I'm Irish preacher, it's just that ain't. No, it's not. Man, are you crazy? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Your heritage and your bloodline's got nothing to do with your attitude and actions. It's all got to do with what you are doing with it today with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? You say, well, preacher, my whole family's been angry. Then break the cycle, man. Well, preacher, my whole family's been drunk. Break the cycle. My whole family's been X, Y, Z. Break the cycle, guys, okay? Don't just go down the road just because grandpappy and grandmammy did it, amen? Whatsoever it may be, guys, crucify it. You know what crucify means? It means kill. It means to make dead, Amen. Beloved, listen, it, it, we are to be growing if we are living. Anything that is, is living should be growing, and if something is not growing, it is dying. Amen. Can I tell you this? That you got victory over the devil this morning. The Bible says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into that too much. I believe at that point, because we're getting into it on the Wednesday nights. But there is a stage that happens right there. Number one, you better submit yourself to God. You can't resist the devil in your own power and might, amen. You've got to submit unto God first, then resist the devil, and then he'll start, he'll start fleeing from you. But there are three types of Canaanites, the children of God, kept in the country because of compromise. Three types. And it's the very same sinful characters and issues that are brought into our life through compromise. I've heard people tell, I've heard people say this. In order to have a good marriage, you have to compromise. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Amen? We have a misunderstanding that we got to compromise everything in order for. No, you do not. Husbands, you got to do your job all the time. Wives, you got to do your job all the time. That's a successful marriage, not compromise. Not compromise. Amen? You compromise on one thing, what are you going to compromise on next? You overlook one thing, what are you going to overlook next? I'm not saying not have compassion. I'm not saying not be long-suffering with another. You, by all means, must have those in your life. But you don't have to compromise to have a successful marriage. You've been married for 25 years, and compromise has never been part of our marriage. What has been each one of us doing both of our job and loving one another without fail. Loving one another with—I don't on you know, bad days, good days, rainy days, sunny days, hurricane days, whatever it may be—but putting one another first and foremost, and ourselves behind. Three types of sins that we, these Canaanites, that we have in our life, and we see the same principle here in Joshua 17. Compromise number one will bring sins into our life that we favor. We favor them. Look in verse 13 of our text. And I realize they're on the screen today. You can do it that way as well. But verse 13 says, Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxen strong. In other words, guys, they were strong enough. They were, they were ready. They, they, they could put the Canaanites out. They could put them out of their misery. It says that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. You see, guys, when the children of Israel were strong enough to remove the Canaanites, they chose not to do so, but rather sought to benefit from them. They sought to, quote-unquote, tame their sins. And many have done the very same thing today. We've justified a lion shacking up, stealing. We've justified discord. We, we, we've we looked at the weight of our sin or we looked at the sin in our life and, and we've devised plans to benefit from them. We've remained unfaithful to the house of God because we say, I got to do this, this, and this when the church doors are open. One day they're going to be shut and you're going to wish you came. There are people who have felt as if they could just tame or, or contribute to certain sins and benefit from them and they sit back and wonder why they're not living victoriously. Just because your friends or your family does it, guys, doesn't make it right. You're not going to tame your sins. We we talked about this in James 4 the other night. Or James 1. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. I'll say this. What was sin 100 years ago is still sin today. Amen, preacher? So there are some Canaanites in our life, some sins in our life that we favor. We tend to want to keep them around try to benefit from them now here's what happens next once we favor these sins it's like feeding that little lion when it's a cub and then all i I remember i grew up in florida and back in the day it was illegal to own an alligator it's probably still illegal now but they were a protected species because you just got to have lots of those around to have life good right anyway um so people started buying these things called caimans which was kind of a hybrid type of gator they were smaller, but they were aggressive, very aggressive. They'd get them when they're like about the size of lizards, okay, about this big. And they'd feed them, and they was cute, and they'd rub their belly, and they'd pass out like that, and they just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And They'd keep feeding them and feeding them. Before you know it, they'd get a different aquarium or in another. And before you know it, they're about three and a half, four feet long. And now they're full grown, and they're angry. Why are they angry? have no idea. They're always angry, okay? And so what do people do? They turn them loose. And Southwest Florida is infested with these nasty little giant lizards now that are this big, all because people thought they could tame them, but when they got big, they feared them. They feared them. In Joshua there, chapter 17, verses 15 and 16, watch this. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, cut down for thyself there in the land of the Pezzarites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. Children of Joseph said, the hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley, they have chariots of iron. Both they who are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. You know what the people are saying? He says, you're telling us to get rid of our sins, and yet our sins now are too strong. Guys, Satan will entice you, and then he will terrify you. The devil has people convinced that they cannot live in victory today all because they started favoring those little sins in their life and then they begin to fear them. Psalm 31 tells us in verse 24, Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Guys, we have bowed before our sin way too long. We have joined them way too long. In our world today, immorality is running rampant. Divorce has become an epidemic in our society. Um, uh, one in every two marriages will end in divorce today, and that's amongst both Christian and non-Christian cultures alike. We have a drug culture today. We have bowed down to the legalizing of, of drugs today. And people, you know, the only thing drugs and alcohol do for your life is break your homes, give you unemployment, bring forth crime. Uh, I mean, uh, the road deaths are at their highest because of these things. Lying has become something that is tolerated today. Treason today is something that's not even looked at as a crime any longer. You know why? Because we favored those sins, and now we fear them. We favor them and fear them, guys, because we have fellowship with them. Back in Judges 1.32, it says, But the Asherites dwell among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. They simply didn't do it. They had fellowship with the devil-possessed people. They had fellowship with a people, guys, who hated God and wanted nothing to do with him. And now they were afraid to get rid of them. Guys, when we fellowship with our sins and we hold it tenderly and we learn the way of the wicked, we become an enemy of God. We know our text verse from, from, um, from Wednesday night, James chapter 4 and verse 4, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I said this Wednesday night. James is writing to save folk. He's writing to Christians. And a Christian can and will become an enemy of God if you have a friendship with the world. Again, we are not to coddle it, condone it, contribute to it. Neither are we to conform to it. Romans in chapter 12, verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. Guys, God is never going to give us something to do in the Bible that we're not equipped to do. Either by the power and might of the Holy Spirit of God or that which he has given us the inclination to do so. So I ask you this morning, are there Canaanites in your life? Sins that you favor? Sins that you may fear? Or sins that you just fellowship with? They're all there because of compromise. Now quickly this morning, and we'll wrap this up. There are Canaanites in our life because of conceit, if we're not careful. Joshua 17, back in verses 14 and 15, says, And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given uh, me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as, for as much as the Lord had blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered, If thou be great, you know the rest of the verse, we've already read it. Hey, if you're so great, get up there in the wood country and cut some wood down, he said. If you're so great, get rid of the Pezzarites. Get rid of the Canaanites. If you're so great, go ahead and do this. So a lot of times, guys, we allow Canaanites to remain in our life because of our own personal conceit. When we're living a compromising life, yet full of conceit, they were full of pride, they were. And it will always rob you of the victory in your life that you should have. Romans 12 and verse 3 tells us, For I say, Through the grace given unto me, every man that is among you, not to think of himself more than he ought to think. That's right on the backside, where Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he turns right around and says, Don't think more of yourself than, than you ought to think. But these children of Israel were failing to do and to be who God wanted them to be. 1 Peter gives us another verse here in verses 5-5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed in humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. One mark of those who have true humility in your life, they never say they're humble. The moment says, well, you know, I'm a pretty the moment a person says, well, you know, I'm pretty humble. No, you're not. <laughs> that's a mark of someone who's not humble. That just that's pretty straightforward. Beloved, our trust cannot be in what we can do. It cannot be a, oh, we're a great people, we're strong, we're mighty, we're this and we're that. No, we're not. Don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And Lastly, beloved, we need to understand if we're going to live a victorious life, if we're going to live in victory, one that is without compromise, one that is without conceit, we especially need to get rid of some of the clutter. We always hear about spring cleaning. Joshua 17, 16. Now watch this and stay with me on this, if you will. It says, And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bethshean and her towns and they who are in the valley of Jezreel. and verses 17 and 18 of the same chapter, And Joshua spake in the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, meaning you are numerous, you're large, Okay? And he says, uh, "He says, and has great power. You're strong, he says. He says, uh, thou shall not have one lot only, but the mountains shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have irons, iron chariots, and though they be strong. Trees, man. So the lot that they gave them, the, their inheritance, Joshua saying unto them, Listen, dude, if you want more land, cut the trees down that is already on the land that you have. In other words, guys, if you want more in your life, you want blessings in your life, you want to live victorious in your life, you're going to have to get rid of some clutter in your life. There's some things that you're just going to have to remove, whether you like it or not. Nisi and I go through this decluttering thing all the time, especially with clothes. Man, I got more t-shirts than I know what to do with, and I only wear about four. I'll be perfectly, i wear about the same t-shirt all the time. And I got this whole drawer full of t-shirts. Finally here, about two weeks ago, I started going through them and taking them. Had all these different CrossFit gym t-shirts that whatever reason I'm saving, I don't know, from trips over the last decade. Okay, and I start loading Daniel up with them. So, you know, Daniel, bless his heart, he's, he's in boot camp, he comes home, he's got this stack of t-shirts on his bed when he comes home. He's like, ooh, I was like, hey, you got some new clothes, buddy. I'm trying to get them out of my drawer, amen. And he's wearing them, bless his heart. He's just as bad. He wears about three shirts. He's still wearing the same tank top that he wore 10 years ago, amen. I was like, you gotta throw that thing away. He goes, I got two of them. I was like, no, both away. But anyway, there's some clutter in our life, guys, and this land is a picture of our life. As Christians, guys, if we're not living victorious and we have a land that is filled with Canaanites, a land that is filled with sins that we favor, we fear, we fellowship with, a land that has plenty of room but is cluttered up by the trees, if we want to live in victory, we going to to cut some trees down. We're going to have to open it up, guys. So let me ask you a question. Do you want more land in your life? Do you want a greater sphere of influence? Do you want a greater imprint for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life that you have right now? Maybe there's some things cluttering it up. Maybe there's some things that are taking away room. Maybe there's some things that are keeping you from doing that which you should do. Joshua said, if thou be a great people, then get up to the wood country. Cut down there uh, uh, thyself, uh, the land of the Pezrites and the giants and out Ephraim. If it's too narrow for you, if you don't have enough room here, get up there in the wood country and decolor, declutter the place. There are things in our life that we consider to be harmless, and sometimes they are, but if they're cluttering our life up, if they're keeping us from where we should be and keeping us from what we should be doing, if they're keeping us from a victorious life in Christ, the answer is clear. Can I say this? Worship will always come before work. Always. But guys, we are saved and called unto good works as a child of God. But you're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and all of who and what he is before you're ever going to get a work done on the outside. I'll say this secondly, and we're done. Worship always comes before warfare. If you think you're not going to worship and you're going to try to go into this world and fight the battles that we have in this world against the, uh, the forces of evil and the forces of darkness, you're going out there unarmed. You're going out there unarmed. Three things you can set in your life tonight or today that will give you victory in the Christian life is that you can set boundaries. You know, as a child of God, as a Christian, there's just some things we ought not do. Places we ought not go, things we ought not listen to, things we ought not look at, things we ought not say. Oh, but preacher, I got liberty. You ain't got that liberty. What you're doing is you're bounding yourself. You're, you're, You're allowing these Canaanites to come into your life and make you slaves. There's some boundaries we should set in our life. Not only that, there's some borders we should set some things that we ought to live by. And thirdly, there should be, should be some bulwarks in our life. You know what a bulwark is? It's a tower. You know what a tower does? A tower gives you an eyesight of what's beyond the trees in front of you. What's in beyond the moment that is just in your life right now. I'm not saying you should look too far down the road. I think we need to be where our feet are, but I am telling you this. There are, there are times when we got to get up in that bulwark and we got to take a look and see what's coming so that we can sound the alarm, set the boundaries, and set the borders in our life, so that we can live victorious in the world that we live today. choice is ours. choice is yours. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here this morning. Thank you for the message. Father, I pray that you would uh, just give us peace in our life, Father. I pray that you would take these words, write it upon the table of our heart, I ask you, Lord, that we would not soon forget what you've done for us. And, Lord, I pray that we, each one of us here this morning, Lord, before the final amen is up, that we would set some boundaries in our life to live victoriously for you. That we would set up those borders, dear Lord, in our life, so we can live in victory, that we can set a bulwark up, Father. So the victorious Christian life will be part of ours, each day, each moment. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the word of God is a blessing to your heart this morning.